Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fucking Alex? What the fuckaholics? What the fuckabillies? That's enough. What's with the attitude, Mark? Be nice to the people. They're just tuning in. Welcome to the show. It's me, Mark Marin. This is WTF. I appreciate you being here. I, I, I sincerely do. I am incredibly uh, busy, not complaining. That is not a complaint. I guess it could be a complaint if, like, I'm so busy. But no, I'm just, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I did a 13-hour shoot day yesterday. Crazy. Not complaining. Very exciting. But by the end of 13 hours, I can't even think straight. Bob Goldthwaite was uh, actually directing that particular episode. We're still in it. I'm I'm recording this intro before I go. It's like it's early in the morning, and I'm getting this out to you before I go uh, go act before I go act like me. Which, as a role, uh, is I think that uh, you know I, I have a better handle on uh, the fictional me than I do on the real me. But that's to be expected. That's why we do it. That's why you write a fictional you, because you can control him like a puppet. But then there's always the question, yeah, but how real are you, man? How real are you? I'm pretty real. I'm laying it out there. Yeah, but are you? Are, is this all of you? Are you putting it all out there? I can't put it all out there. People, that's a good question. How many yous are there? Today, Yakov Smirnoff is on the show. And some of you are like, wow, that's a blast from the past. What's that guy been doing? Where is, you know, what is it? Yakov Smirnoff from the 80s? What happened to that guy with his hook that certainly isn't relevant anymore? How does a, a guy like that survive? Other uh, people are saying, Yakov Smirnoff, who is that? Who is Yakov Smirnoff? You know, I, I had this realization that there are some people that listen to this show that I have some comics on. They, they, especially ones that are not, were not huge. I have no point of reference for them at all, really, unless you, you Google it. Remember, why Google when you can speculate? Okay? Keep the conversation interesting. You know, let the dick that needs to be right ruin the party with his facts. Don't be afraid to wing it and then get out. Huh? Dump some bullshit into somebody's head and get out. Let them work on it. It's not on you. You don't have to get it right. Just make it interesting. Yakov Smirnoff was a popular comic in the 80s. This was the great age of comedy before it all crapped out and rebuilt itself twice. Yakov Smirnoff was a huge comedy star because he had a hook. And man, what a fucking hook it was. He was Russian. He was Russian and we were in the, the last throes of the Cold War. He was a Russian comic talking about how great America was because it wasn't Russia. What the country? It was, it was a pretty big act. And this is a time in comedy where I don't think you see as much of it as you used to. There used to be people that would, uh, you know, be, they, have, they have hooks. People are always looking for hooks. You know, like, what's my angle? I want to be the guy that says that. What's my hook? But uh, Yakov had it. Like, I briefly, you know, was looking for hooks. Okay. Hey, I'm the sad guy. Hey, look, I'm the angry guy for no reason. I'm all worked up for things I'm making up in my head. Uh, that guy. That guy didn't work out. Hey, I'm the, look, I'm the about to cry guy. Never could find a hook. But you, you do think about it, especially if you came up in that time. 
You know, you're sort of like, what's my angle? And usually it's going to be your persona uh, or, or who you are, or some version of that that's going to be compelling, that's going to you know, make people want to see you, not the, the fact that, you, hey, he's the guy that wears the hat. Isn't that the guy that hits himself in the mouth? I love that guy. Is that the guy that wears the stupid pants? That guy's hilarious, the pants guy. Yeah, hooks were, they're not usually that deep. Hey, is that the guy with no head? Pow! Shit my pants. Justcoffee.com. Available at WTFpod.com. Look! So to contextualize, or as I, or, you know, like I didn't Google it, so I'm speculating. There was a, uh, there was a time where these kind of comics um, were huge. And certainly, uh, Yakov come out of the comedy store. And I mean, but this was just a unique ethnic hook. This was a Russian guy in America uh, during the Cold War comparing the two countries in jokes. And it was huge. But Yakov is one of those guys also who, who in my mind, and, and this has happened before on the show, and some of you know that, that you know, you, you talk to these guys that were huge at a different point in time, and then you don't hear from them, or, or they, they, they drift away, or they become less relevant. And, uh, and you're thinking, like, what happened to that guy? That can't be good. I mean, what the, Jesus, what happened to that guy? And 99% of the time, when I talk to these guys, they come in here, they're fine. Not only are they fine, they believe and sometimes are doing the best work of their life. They've, 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 they've reinvented themselves. They've, they've moved on to some other, some other racket, some other angle, some other approach, or a reinvention of what they used to do. That's, that's what happens. You survive somehow, most people. So, uh, so, you know, so I talk to Yakov, and, and you'll, uh, you'll hear that in a minute. What's my hook, man? I'm going to be the guy that wears the cord jacket. I'm the guy that wears the plaid shirt. I'm the plaid shirt guy. Yeah, you and about 900 other hipsters. I'm the guy that has the beard. I'm the beard guy. The guy with the beard, but not that guy with the beard. I'm, I'm the guy with the, the little goatee, the soul patch. You and nine other guys. All right, I'm, I'm the angry, uh, neurotic guy with the soul patch. Okay, that narrows it down to three. Fuck you, who are the other two? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the fuck you, who are the other two guy. That's my hook. Fuck you, who's the other guy? Yeah, that's my hook. Fuck you, I'm the guy. That's a better hook. Okay, I just want to be okay, all right? You, you know what I mean? I mean, I just want to be okay. You know, I don't know how to date, folks. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, put out too too much information out there. I don't know how to date. You know, generally, I I date and spend time with and live with and marry women who uh, who approach me. Hey, I'm a I'm a big fan. Hey, I think you're great. Really, that sounds like enough. Come on in. Here's half my money. I'm okay. I'm okay alone. I'm doing okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Let's talk to uh, Yakov Smirnov. This is an amazing conversation. Enjoy. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Yakov Smirnoff, that uh, that I I think you lived in the house I lived in. Did you not live in Crest Hill ever? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So I lived in Crest Hill. You kidding? Which no. room? I lived in the room right off the kitchen, the little room. That's where Andrew Dice Clay lived. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it red? No, they had repainted it green for some reason. Okay. Okay. But Dice came over once and said. Uh, yeah, I used to get blowjobs in that bathtub. I have you ever had a blowjob in that bathtub? And I was like, I have not yet had the blowjob in the bathtub. 
Where, which room did you live in at Cresco? I lived uh, upstairs. Uh, first one as you walked in to the right. Oh, the the one that was the basically a patio. It was like uh, there was it was right in front of the house. There was a bathroom. Yes, and then the big room. Yes. Who was in the big room that you couldn't uh, be in the big room? Uh, it was Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Yep. And he who was needed it? a big room. He's sure, yeah, for his tuba. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He had, exactly. a, he had to put his tuba in bed exactly, with him. Exactly. And who exactly. lived in the in the big room across the way? Uh, Argus Hamilton. Argus Hamilton. And then downstairs in the other bedroom, uh, it was Mark King. Mark King. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Mark yeah. King from. Uh, no, I'm thinking of no, 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 no. No, that. he he was more he was more of an improv comic. Uh, there was an improv group and um, the comedy store players. Yes, ah, yeah, uh, so he was part of that team. What year are we talking, Yakov? We're talking seventy nine, eighty. Wow. Yeah. When did you come to uh, America? Seventy seven. So fairly quickly, very quickly, you yeah. ended up in the the dark palace of comedy. It was very interesting uh, to arrive there, and I I was performing uh, a little bit in um, uh, Dangerfields in New York, also a dark place, dark place, <laughs> and that's where I met Andrew Dice Clay first time. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine being from Russia and then seeing Andrew kind of walk up to you with the cigarette and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of a towering over you, like a, and and hey, yeah, yeah. you're funny. Yeah, I like you. And, and all of a sudden, you get a hug from him, and you go, "I don't know you. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm scared of you." And so we literally. This was his first professional gig in Dangerfield. He got paid first time for his comedy when you and were so there. Did I? Yes. Right. First time we got like forty dollars a person, and was uh, Rodney hanging around at that uh-huh, time? Yeah. yeah, he would just yeah yeah he would yeah. be around. And that was the first paid gig. The first paid gig, and then I escaped from New York to L.A. and uh, and then I was thinking I'll never see Andrew again. <laughs> uh, and then there is a knock on the door in that in the house. Yeah. Uh, where I'm living, and Andrew's standing there, and he goes, "Hey, Yak." <laughs> And I'm like, holy cow, how did you find me? He said, Mitzi, put me here. I'm your roommate. <laughs> so three years. He, so that was when he moved out to L.A. He, he moved out to L.A. And yeah. Mitzi loved him. And, yes, yes. So let's go back to like uh, moving, because I, I, you're the first guy uh, outside of Eugene Merman, uh, who's a, a younger guy. You're the only other guy that I know that, that, was, uh, that moved here from Russia uh-huh. and, and, and may have memories of it. Yes. Um, because you were there as an adult, you yes. left as an adult. Yes. And can can you explain to me what where did you come from? What town? I'm from Odessa, Ukraine. It's oh, so that's a big Black town. Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it a, is. It that's is. a big a million, city. Billion yeah. people. Yeah. 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 And uh, what what did, what kind of world did you grow up in? What was your father's line of work? What did your mother my, do? My mom was a, a teacher of Russian literature, uh-huh. and my dad was an inventor. And couldn't hold a job really, so so he was at home, kind of raising me while my mom was raising funds for us to live on. Really? Yeah. And he was inventing a bunch of stuff that was fun to be around, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, <laughs> there are some uh, goofy inventions. Uh, one was I remember the um, Christmas tree stand that would rotate and would um, make the lights on the tree blink on and off. And it was fun uh, for me um, 
And but the problem was that device made all the lights in the entire apartment building blink on Come and on. off. Yeah, I'm serious, <laughs> not kidding. So so then my mom yelled at my dad. Yeah, you know, and she didn't want to. You know, she didn't want to yeah. us to be reported to the KGB. And the KGB, you probably still remember, stands for Kiss Goodbye Your Butt. Uh-huh. So she was nervous about this. So anyway, so dad dad was unsuccessful inventor, and then eventually. Um, I started performing on the cruise ships on the Black Sea uh-huh. um, as a comedian, uh-huh. and and I got the feeling that I will probably be okay if I would leave Russia because I didn't know. You know we were so isolated. Were you performing in Russian? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. So you were performing on uh, the vacation ships, the Russian vacation. Correct. Ship. correct. So okay, so you're in this house. Uh, your mother's nervous. That you, now wait, we're no. in an apartment with nine other families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one building or one apartment? One apartment. With nine one, families. Nine families. Now, we occupy one one room. Did you, So did your mother work for the, the state, oh, I sure, guess? Oh, sure, everybody did. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. a real thing. So the, 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 the idea that the KGB would be raised suspicion because your father was tinkering with the oh, electricity yeah. was oh, a yeah. real thing. Oh, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, th- th- I'm not making this up. No, I know you're so, not making it up, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know that Americans or myself know the real threat. Oh, yeah. Of, it, of, it was strange because... Uh, people, you know, you live, uh, you have neighbors, and you have a stove, one stove for nine families. Yeah, and you have to assign time who can use, like, for an hour. You can use the stove, and then another family uses the stove, and things like that. So it's very bizarre. No phone, no car. It was totally normal and, life. And you were also brought up Jewish, right? I wasn't brought up Jewish. I was, uh, uh, I was born Jewish, but was not brought up Jewish at all. That was not even mentioned in our environment. It be, was eighty. Was it because you didn't you wanted to you want, didn't want to be recognized as Jews or my parents didn't want to be recognized as Jews, right? And and so and the whole society was atheistic. Yeah. So the religion was not an issue, or didn't want to be. You can't say even the word God. In school, you would be expelled. Really? Yeah. So it was totally bizarre. That's real shit. It's real shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I yes. mean, no, I, I mean, I know yes. that you know you made a career sort of, uh, you know, out of the the tension of of the Cold War and Russian American relationships, but you know, and there's a way, you know, we all have our ideas about uh, you know spy movies or what we sense from movies yeah. about the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but to really feel to be in an apartment with nine families, not be able to identify yourself religiously, and and to be in constant fear of of being interrogated for no reason whatsoever. Absolutely. That was the world you lived in. It was in. normal. It, but normal, again, when you grow up in a ghetto, that's normal. You know, when you grow up in, you know, Bangladesh somewhere, it would be normal. So we didn't see it as as really bad all the time. It just was, we had to stand in line. Like I started, my, my grandma would put me in line uh, for bread, like when I was, Six maybe, yeah. and she would point, you know, and she'd say, "Stand here. I'm yeah. gonna go stand in line for milk." Uh-huh. And that was normal. And so our environment was just 
You do those things. That's what you do. It was just the way you were. Yeah. How, how old were you? you went, yeah, I mean, this was. I left when I was 26. Oh, so you were there the whole time. See, I thought you were going to go for an easy joke and you didn't. I appreciate it. She put me in line when I was six. She came back when I was seven. And I still hadn't gotten the bread yet. It was right there. It was like, there. I but wrote you in... used it. You used it. So good. Good yeah, for you. I wrote it in my own head. Is that, is that a joke you do? No, but I will now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So. 26 so you go to college and everything else you you I, I went to military I I was 2 years in the military and Is that what I, you had to do? Yes. 2 yeah, two eight, years. 2 years. What did you do what was Draft. your rank? Or what did what question. was your I job? Was a, what was your uh, job? Uh, the, the job originally started I was in the artillery training and then later on I got I'm an artist so I paint so so they start using me for propaganda machine kind of you know to paint yeah. lenin and stalin you and, did you painted oh, yeah, lenin and yeah, stalin yeah, 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 over yeah. and over again you, oh, you say that like oh. you're exhausted it's like oh. we need another one with his hands oh, like yeah. this oh yeah bigger one of yes, his head exactly exactly <laughs> yeah 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 otherwise i would be still standing in line for bread you know yeah, so the callback yeah. <laughs> here we go <laughs> yes so you, so that you were a talented painter. Obviously, if you could handle that, I, I actually the the rest of them were not good at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I was actually modest. I remember when they asked who can, you know, do art. I I was the last one to raise my hand because everybody else yeah. raised their hand because they want to get out of they the trenches and shooting <laughs> and all of the crawling for the mud and yeah. all of that stuff. And I was the last, they said, no, you guys don't know anything. The sergeant would just go yell at them and say, you don't know how to paint. You don't know how to draw anybody else. So I raised my hand and then changed my, that made me survive the army, you know. So at that time, were there conflicts going on? I'm not like- uh, Czechoslovakia, they invaded uh Czechoslovakia. So I could have been, you know, Uh in in the front lines. Oh my God. So were you, was that your goal in life was to be a painter? Uh, it was probably uh, a comedy was overpowering everything. However, my parents thought that I was crazy to even think about that. Was there a Russian comedy scene? Yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> you'll you'll think I'm joking, but there was a department of jokes in every state, <laughs> and they would censor your material once a year, and you had to stay with the script for a year, and they would send that script to to the main department of jokes, which was in Moscow. And that's how they would approve it, and that's how you had you had a job for a year. It was called the Department, Department of Jokes. Department of Jokes, yeah. And this was for all entertainers, I imagine. Oh, that, yeah. Like if they were television presenters or, yes. or anything, yeah. that if someone was going to make a joke, they had a, they, it was approve a censor, it. but it was a, it was a statewide State, censorship. Statewide censorship. And it, the guys who were censoring were totally not funny. I mean, they had no idea. They never are. Now it's it's just for legal reasons now, but of course they can't be funny. So so you're dealing with somebody, you would have to sneak by them some humor that they weren't getting. And so some of the jokes were really clever, So, but they were disguised as something else, and then you would come up with the material that was good. So you would go to the Department of Jokes. You write it up, and then if they need to question you, you would go there. But otherwise, they would stamp it and send it back to you. So, all right. So you would write it up. But were you ever, like, called down? Like, was there ever, like, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Yakov, we need you to come down and explain this joke? 
Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, there there have been a couple of times. One like, joke I remember that I wrote, um, and it was a joke that uh, an, uh, a tiny little ant got married to a female elephant mm-hmm. because you could tell joke. You couldn't talk about com- you couldn't talk about government, politics, religion, and sex. Uh-huh. The rest was fine. Right. So so uh-huh. animals were a big topic, you know. So. <laughs> So, so, uh, so little Anne gets gets married to female elephant, and after first wedding night, elephant died. And the little Anne said, "Only one night, I enjoyed myself, and now for the rest of my life, I have to dig this grave." <laughs> right? Yeah. Funny, yeah. funny. But they thought I was talking about some communist. Maybe I was talking about the communist party, or or that the was KGB, a metaphor for the a metaphor, right? So I said, no, no, it was just animal, you know. And did they let you do it? Yeah, they let me do it. Really? But you went and defended that joke. Yeah, I did. That's that's hilarious is that like, you know, you have such a limited palate to work with. Yeah. And then they call you to the the the, the carpet to defend this thing. Defend this thing. And then you know it's a victory that yeah. you get to do the ant digging the grave joke. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God! Thank God! I'm 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 allowed. Yes. <laughs> I'm allowed. I'm allowed. I'm alive. I'm not in prison. Exactly. For the ant, the elephant exactly. joke. That was exactly. close. <laughs> Did you know other Russian comedians at the time? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was uh, there was a group of. There were some famous ones that were like on radio and television mm-hmm. uh, on a regular basis. And Arkady Rykin was very popular, and the Soviets liked him. He was, he was kind of he had a little bit of the edge, but he was always on their side of the edge. Uh huh. So um, you mean the communist side? Yeah. That well, like, yeah. there is no other. There was no other side. <laughs> so if you're on that side, or you're on the grave side. You know, it's like <laughs> you don't want to be. You don't want to be the. The the elephant, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So okay. So when you say that he had an edge that tended towards it, like you say he had a little bit of an edge, which what which in your mind meant what that he pushed buttons. He pushed but the button. He would talk about yeah, but but he would expose some things that the Soviets knew that there was problems there, like you know deficit of food and things like that. Right. So he would make a, a sketch. He would be a, um, a sketch, a kind of a one person sketch. He would played several characters yeah and um and then he would be do a little bit of uh humor like georgian russian georgians would be kind of funny guys to imitate so he would do that and then they would be the wealthier ones Uh so they would have things that most people in russia wouldn't have they had a phone right or they had a car okay okay they were rich so so he was sympathizing with the worker that, yeah. In in other words, that you know, obviously there were rich people within communism, uh, and you could and they could be you could target them subtly to sort exactly. of empower the the, the worker. worker exactly. And then you would identify with him, and you would not. And that's feel okay. It's crappy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even that. though some of the uh, the higher ups uh, within the communist uh, party were like, uh, well, you know, we got a big house, but we're willing we're willing to take this hit to give the worker a little bit of uh, relief. Totally. You're right on. Yeah. Right, like yeah. it's like yeah. if they can feel just a minor amount of victory through this dumb joke, that's not a problem with yeah, us. Exactly. Yeah. They now, if, if they base their movement against us on the joke, then we got to kill the comic. Oh yeah, no, totally, <laughs> totally, yeah. And because he was um, ha- right. so popular, he would and uh, at that time taking somebody's material 
we didn't even think about that. It was like so little of it. So I could do a parody of what he did next day on stage, and it was uh, totally accepted because it was already approved by the Department of Jokes right. for him. Right. So why would I want to write my own stuff when and then try to approve it right. when I could take what he's doing and just do it? Um, That's sort of fascinating. So it wasn't even an issue of theft. It was like, all right, so there's a bit... That the party's okay with exactly, and it's like you, you, you're the 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 limitations that you were given to actually be original was was tricky, and you obviously had some of your own original jokes. Yeah, but if the people didn't give a shit, and, no, nobody cared, and it was I, just entertainment, state state sanctioned entertainment. Exactly, and they also knew that it was him because he was so popular. And this will be interesting. I I don't think I ever told any, but we had a. Um, no radio, yeah. But we had a state-run. It's uh, like a one speaker that was in every room of the. I'm not exaggerating. And every room of the apartment, and it was in a corner. Normally, there really mounted. was that one speaker. Yes, that was just and it was that- one state, one one station. And so, um, but you Ron, can turn it on and off. Yeah, you okay. can turn right. it on and off. Right, right. But, but you so he would be on that main, the only station that right. we had. Right. So everybody heard that routine. Right. Uh, once on Sunday morning, you know, once a month, he would present something new. And it was like uh, everybody would wait for that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for his this bit. This was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for his so, bit. So, Get a little laugh. So then they wanted more of that. So I was kind of, and that was training in comedy for me. Yeah. I would forbade them, get that routine. And then in a club or in the, in the theater, I would perform it like, you know, once a year or something right. like that. And you do and have was, the voices and everything? Yeah, 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 I would do that. So yeah. that was a sketch, and they never said like he's doing that guy. They, they were, were like, happy I was we, doing. It. Yeah, <laughs> we, we want to hear that it. Bit. Yeah, we loved it. Yeah, because they were so, it was, they were almost uh, comedically starved. Oh, totally. It's like a, a singer, you know, in a in a, a bar or uh-huh. something sings a hit song. Right. We go, yeah, let's. It. So that's how there was. And, like, and 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 he never said to you, "You're doing my shit." No, no, he no, didn't. That, didn't. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was too big. He, he didn't was. Care. Yeah, I was in Odessa. He was in Moscow. You yeah. Know. No. Yeah. And no was, one gave a shit. No. 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 It, it, it was it, just funny stuff, and and they wanted more funny. Well, so. you know, it's interesting. It's not unlike uh, you know the Catskills. It's not unlike uh, vaudeville in a sense. That's true. That you know, true. you know, I was just thinking about this bit. You know, the bit. Uh, 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 and slowly I turned. Do you know the the uh, the Three Stooges bit? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Niagara Falls bit. Did you did you say Niagara Falls? <laughs> so you know, I so I watched that bit because I became sort of fascinated with the idea of that. That you you got a bit that you know Abbott and Costello did, the Three Stooges did, many people did in vaudeville, and people didn't give a shit who made the bit. They were just like, do the funny bit, it do it your funny. way. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, did you find exactly. when you did that stuff though? Just out of curiosity, because it's it's rare that you can talk to somebody that that was not only um, encouraged, but but you know there was no real uh, you know there was no uh, shame in it. Oh, not at all. No. Did, but did you, did you find that you could make it your own in any way, or did you even try not to? You didn't. There was no point. To no it. point because then they would compare it, and then. You know, you it, didn't do it like him. Yeah, it's like Whitney Houston singing Dolly Parton's song. Right. You know, it, once you compare it, you go, "Oh, one of them is not so good." For you know? me, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that it was 
forbatim as forbatim as possible. And then it was more of a parody that they thought was accurate. It was like, oh, he's just like Reichen. Right. And it, you know, you know, and and it the, right. gave you credibility. Oh, I get it. So were you able to, at that time, integrate your own jokes into stuff? Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you were it just sort be, of the set piece. I, normally, it would be, uh, it wasn't a one-man show. Normally, I would be traveling with a band or something, so I would be master of ceremony. So I would come out and do this bit, and then come out again, do my bit, then come out again, do something else. Yeah, it was a collection of things. Fascinating, actually. I like the one speaker thing. Like that's something I only thought was in movies. Maybe I'm naive about uh, about about communism. Like I, I I guess I didn't want to believe the worst. Yeah, it's pretty pretty weird. Yeah, yeah and who was uh? So you you lived through several presidents. What did you catch the tail end of Khrushchev? Uh, and then Brezhnev, correct. And then uh, 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 what? Yeltsin. Yeltsin. And uh, I I left actually. I left during Brezhnev time. Uh huh. So before Yeltsin. Before Yeltsin. Yeah. So you lived through Khrushchev and Brezhnev. Yes. And that was it. That was it. They, they were they, they hung were around long, a long time. Yeah, they didn't leave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, when when were you at all political in any way? In the sense, not as a comedian, but you know, when you saw Nixon talking to Brezhnev, I imagine you were old enough to remember that shit. Not really. Yeah, didn't, Still, didn't they? Imagine. They were very selective what they what we saw. Very, oh, so very we selective. saw a lot of stuff, and you oh, guys, yeah, you very just, little. Yeah. You just heard that comedian on the on the speaker. Well, and that was a treat. No, what we saw was how Americans, you know, do bad things in the world. You know, that's. That was the t- that was a, you know we didn't see good stuff coming from America. You well, know? What, what, what what do you have recollections of what those beliefs about America were when you were a younger person? Oh yeah, that the Americans uh, were there were rich people there who would sell their mother for money, <laughs> and then there would be their poor people who were uh, were homeless yeah but they were sitting in front of their house uh-huh. and they looked a lot healthier than we did right but somehow they were homeless yeah um so things like that so some of it was obvious to us that it was propaganda my shift happened ma- major shift uh when i started working in the cruise ships mm-hmm. and i actually met americans because i was master of ceremonies and i was supposed to do every evening do some activity with like a cruise director i had contact actually actually i could talk to him because it was against the law this is not a joke yeah. against the law to talk to foreigners mm-hmm. so but because i i was privileged to have this i was supposed to meet them and involve them in activities and all of that and uh-huh. i had an imper- interpreter i could understand what they were saying what they're talking about so all of a sudden i had this fascination with americans they had they had spark in their eyes. They 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 looked like they ate food. You know, it's like <laughs> I wanted that so much, and and so they looked like they ate food. Yes, and so I finally, that was the when when I come when I came to my parents, and after working on the cruise ships, and I said, I think we need to get out. And this is an interesting kind of a callback from what we talked about earlier. Yeah, my my dad. Surprise! My mom was against going to America because she was scared. She she didn't think I would be able to learn English. Right. And uh, I I tried to learn German in Russia and didn't learn it. So she was like worried that 
that I was going to But what do you think she was also worried about just making, like it seems that a lot of people, even if they could leave Russia, like they, they grew to not necessarily love it, but they understood the system at hand. It was simple. And, and, and on some level it was predictable. True, true. However, her fear was more, she she saw the opportunity. However, she didn't know if I, I was going to make it. Right. You know, and there was no way for me to prove myself there, even though I was fairly successful comedian there. But she was like going, how are you going to speak in Russian and make people laugh? There's not going to. And then I actually took my parents on a cruise ship to see uh, what I was doing. And I was doing shows in front of a thousand people who didn't speak Russian. Uh-huh. But we had interpreters, and I would do like a a game show. Would mm-hmm. it be like Miss Cru- Cruise or or um, a variety show or something like mm-hmm. that? They didn't require much of my Russian, but my facial expressions and and my timing was still making this whole group of people who were totally from all different countries. They were laughing. Yeah. And so she started to see that. But then she was going, how can we afford it? We don't have enough money. And my dad surprised us. He went to the kitchen cupboard and got a coffee can. This was like totally shocking to mom and me. And he opened the coffee can and inside there were money. Yeah. Like rolls of money yeah. stuffed in there. Yeah. And we were both in shock. And mom said, where in the world did you get coffee? And and, <laughs> and and how, where is this money coming from? <laughs> right, right. Well, after inventing all these crazy inventions, my dad actually invented something that was successful. He invented the device. It was a small kind of a device that, that measured the integrity of concrete. Uh-huh. And concrete in Russia was like a nas- their national flower or yeah. something, you know. <laughs> And I and and here is my dad inventing something that has integrity of concrete. I didn't know concrete had integrity. Sure. So so and so they gave him enough money for enough to buy three airline tickets to go to America. And he didn't tell anybody because everybody made fun of him as this crazy inventor. He wanted to keep it secret. So when I was ready. Because he couldn't, he wanted to go. Yeah. She didn't want to go. So yeah. I was the, the the tiebreaker. Right. When I was ready, he wanted to have the opportunity to make it possible. Well, why'd they let you leave? Well, Carter at that time was making deals with the Russians. Russians were starving. Yeah. They didn't have money. They didn't have any wheat. Yeah. And they were so bad at this. So there they, was a was there a wheat embargo? Is that like Well, no, no. This was just wheat shortage on the Russians. But we weren't giving you wheat. We didn't want to give wheat because there was no human rights. Yeah. And and Carter said, "You show some human rights, we will give you wheat." Yeah. So we were exchanged for some tons of wheat. <laughs> you got out yeah. on the wheat bill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, every time I see a Wonder Bread truck, I, I, I salute, <laughs> you know, because I could be still standing in line for, for bread. Sure. Anyway, so now we we were given a permission. It took a while. The Russians didn't give it away easily. Yeah. But we lucked out, and it was like, okay, here we are. And uh, where'd you move? New York. What was, part? Brighton Beach. Actually, it was up um, uptown New York uh, in uh, Washington Heights. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, 
and stayed there for a little while. Then I got a job in the Catskills as a bar boy. I, I was looking for any kind of job. And, and that's sort of like, I mean, the Catskills were not the Catskills like they were back in the day, but they were still there still, for the Hasidim. For the were they the Hasidim yet? No, not yet, not yet. No. So they were just old Jews. Jewish resorts, yeah. 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 And big, you yeah. know, like the the one that I played was in Grossinger's. Sure. And it was not played. I, I was bar boy. Yeah, which meant what? You just you were clean, you know, bring, ice trays. Bring and, ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bring uh, pina colada, make sure, whatever. Sure, right. Go down the basement, kid, and get exactly, the- Exactly, exactly. And you're, you're 26 years old, right? 26, 27? Tw- 26? Yeah, 26, 27. I was getting dollar thirty an hour plus some tips- and I loved it because it was money and I had a place to live. They put you up uh-huh. and I could watch the shows because the bar would be shut down when everybody moved to from Pink Elephant Lounge to the main room. And so I could stand in the back and watch comedians. Who? Oh, um, it would be like-, like Freddie Roman. Freddie Roman would uh-huh. be big, big time. Mousy Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All of those the old guys. guys. Uh, I remember Eddie Fisher came. It was a big deal. That sure. He, he came there to to sing, and, uh-huh. and so so it was like a great training for me. Even though I didn't understand, they would say things like, uh, you know, like um, um, the 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 Kennedy case. What was the um. When he the girl drowned, what was uh, uh, Chappaquiddick, right? And I'm listening, and my English is like this little, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I'm going, "What is, what is Chappaquiddick?" And right, they would right. Expl- then the bartenders would explain to me what they did. So it was learning English and 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 getting my ear tuned into what American people like, and and also to the the rhythm of those guys. Yes. like you got Freddie Roman, you got Mousy Lawrence. It was yes. like Sandy Barron too, maybe. I don't do you remember? You don't remember any other guys? Some of the old guys going up there still, like Jack Carter. Uh, I, I, Buddy I Hackett. Know, Buddy Hackett, and you know who else who? came? Johnny Carson came. I mean, it was like a big deal. They hired him to come there, and they were not getting his stuff. They were. I, I was like, I was blown away. But he performed there one night. And they weren't getting it. So he's an established guy, Johnny oh, yeah. Carson. But you know oh. what it was? Though? It was he wasn't Jewish enough. Ooh, exactly, exactly. Is that so you, they would go to the coffee shop and say, "Yeah, I, afraid your Roman is so much better," you know. Well, there's a there's almost a, a sort of a Yiddish cadence that that sort of carried on. That 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 rhythm of Jewish comedy was definitely distilled there. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. And, and yeah. you got it, and you sort of got to see that. You know, I, I did. And then I uh, fast forward. I probably ten, maybe eight years later, I become so now eighty four or something like that. I become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Concord Hotel, which was their big, yeah. big, yeah. The, the big mama, mm-hmm. they hire me. And they um, to play there. Yeah. And now I am uh, in three thousand seat theater. Yeah. On Labor Day weekend, and this I'm is your the, first. Oh, this is later. You'd already way mi- later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the big, you know, stage. Uh huh. And I and um, so I'm playing Vegas at that time, Atlantic City. So I'm doing pretty good. I walk on that stage, and. They're laughing, but very little. You uh-huh. know, it's more like, oh, that's 
Cute, yeah. Cute, funny, mm-hmm. and I'm so I'm working faster and faster. Yeah, yeah. My burning material just to get to stay afloat. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm I walk off the stage and I I go back and and the uh, I'm I'm depressed because I'm going this I thought it was kind of a homecoming kind of a big big thing and I'm gonna kill and and I did okay you mm-hmm. know and the owner of the hotel runs in and he's a big guy and he picks me up and he swirls me around. He said, you made, you're the star, you're the best we've met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are, and I'm going, were you in the same room as I was? <laughs> and he said, yes, they loved you, yeah. They you killed your life. And I go, wait, 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 explain, I don't get it. They weren't barely laughing. He said, no, you don't understand. This is a two door room or four door room. I said, what does that mean? He said, wait, they, when they like somebody, they start leaving in the middle of the show, and we have to open two doors. Right. <laughs> when they don't like somebody, we have to open all four doors. He said, no one left. <laughs> he said, you are the star. You made it. You are so great. <laughs> So yeah, so what do you make of that though? Is it just that they're so miserable? No, no, I think it's just a different culture. It, it just was it primarily old people though? Yeah, older people, but but I think it's just more of a they're they're enjoying it and they're smiling. They're right. not conditioned to necessarily laugh big laughs. And, and also with the resort like that, it's probably just part of the package, right? You go to the show, you pay your yeah, money. It's yeah, not, it's yeah, not, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, got a you choice. You didn't come, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like it's, the thing's going on, you, you want to go, I don't know if I like that. You get pastrami uh-huh. and Smirnoff. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, okay, so let's go back to uh, to New York for a minute. So you, you're there, you, you know, you're doing the uh, the barback uh, gig, and, and how do you get in at, uh, what makes you try to... St- Start doing comedy in America. What was that? Oh, I wanted to do it when I was coming in. I mean, I knew that that's what I want. I right, just didn't know if I can do it or not. Yeah. Um, and then I watched the comedians in the Catskills. Then I started going to like Catch a Rising Star. Hanging around, just hanging around. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld was a big uh, shot at the comic strip at that time. Uh-huh. So he would come out Monday night. All the rookies are there trying to get the time slot. So and, this is 78? Yes. Yeah. And he would like go, so you can come back every other week. Right. And uh, uh, you will indubitably, another word that I was learning, uh, indubitably do this for the rest of your life. And Jerry would say that, and I would write it down, and I yeah. would go and find, <laughs> yeah. look it up yeah. indubitably. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was, but it wasn't, uh, the Catskills gig was over uh, because it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. Then I went to um, Florida for a little ba- a while um, and was trying to get a job on a cruise ship, got a job on the Royal Caribbean, but my English was so bad still. They hired me, but they didn't... As an act? No, no uh, assistant of cruise director. Okay. And But then they realized that I don't speak English. Uh-huh. So, but I was already on board. Yeah. So there are still people in St. Thomas looking for that bus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so they got rid of me pretty quickly. Yeah, Next, yeah. I, was, I was done. And then I heard about, I started working, uh, there's a company in um, uh, in New York, was a company was called Greeting Bells, and a lot of Russian people were working. It was just a 
they were uh, gluing things for Christmas ornaments and things uh-huh. like that. So I was hired uh, uh, as a shipping manager there. Uh-huh. So I was doing that. Meantime, at nighttime, I would go to Good Times Cafe or a catch or or open mics, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And w- at that time, y- you know, was your had you found that hook yet? I mean, the uh, what a country. No, no, no. That that later. That's in comedy. But, so store. what 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 kind of stuff were you doing? Just uh, translated some jokes. Elephant from Russian. And, uh, yeah, you did uh, the elephant uh, joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, well, that's all I knew. You and how would it go? Not very good. But I <laughs> I would get a laugh. I would get a laugh after not getting yeah, a laugh. Sure, you sure. Know? So well, you were sort of an anomaly. You had the accent. You could barely speak the language, exactly. and Americans love to laugh yeah. at uh, foreigners. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, but it was encouraging. Still, I feel I felt that it was. I was getting. I was growing uh, in that field, and then I heard a friend of mine. Um, well, excuse me, the lady who's the owner of that company knew somebody who knew somebody who knew a producer of Tree's Company, Ted yeah. Bergman. Yeah. And Tree's Company was huge at that time. So I figure if I go to Hollywood and I meet Ted Bergman, I'll become a star. Sure. And then Why I not? can come back in 10 days and <laughs> buy a nice place for my folks. <laughs> good good yeah, idea, yeah. right? Yeah. So I had the round trip ticket, 10 days, become a star. I was on it. Yeah. And um, Ted, unfortunately couldn't make it uh, to the show that I lined up. I went to improv uh-huh. and went to comedy store, lined up Monday ni- or Sunday night in the improv, Monday night in the comedy store. and Those are the open nights. Open nights. Yeah. And um, uh, the, the gig in the improv did not go well. It was late night and uh-huh. nobody was, uh, Bud was there, but no one was caring. Yeah. Nobody listened. And... And uh, in the comedy store, uh, Ted Bergman was supposed to be there, but he couldn't make it. Yeah. And so I performed. I was kind of bummed out, but I did about three, four minute bit. Uh-huh. And it was it got a decent response. And I got off stage, but now I'm going. I only have seven days or six days to make all this money. To make all this money <laughs> to come to New York and buy a Fifth <laughs> Avenue apartment because sure. my parents are uh-huh. living in. <laughs> You know, in Washington Heights, <laughs> I want to make I make good. Uh, there was an assistant, Mitzi, Mitzi's assistant, Chrissy. Uh-huh. She was an English girl, and she and she ran after me um, after I finished my set, and she said, "Congratulations!" I said, "And I'm bombed." You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. going, Dang, yeah. you know, what a waste of my money. big yeah. my big dream. Didn't yeah, you? and and she said, uh, "I said congratulations for what?" And she said, "Mitzi liked you." And I said, who is Mitzi? <laughs> yeah. And and she said, she's the owner of the comedy store. Go talk to her. So I go sit down next to Mitzi. And Mitzi, you know, goes- In the original room? In the original. In that booth? In the booth. Uh, in by the, the door? That's right. Yeah. And she goes, you're very good. Uh, you should stay in Los Angeles. There is always place for good and different. Uh-huh. And I still don't know who I'm talking to, sure. so I said, okay. And she said, oh, by the way, come back tomorrow and see a regular show. Come back next day Yeah. on stage. This is without exaggeration. Letterman, mm-hmm. uh, Leno, mm-hmm. um, uh, Billy Crystal, yeah. Richard Pryor, um, and Jeff Altman. I don't yeah. know if Jeff Altman with the pants. Yeah. Yeah, sure. 
Oh, I tell you, I'm gonna exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm sitting there in the back room. Oh, and Robin, uh-huh. Robin stopped by. Robin Williams, number one. Uh, Mark and Mindy was number one, and he just dropped in. Uh-huh. And he did. He said, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I can't believe I just died and went to heaven. Right from the Catskills to yeah. <laughs> from you know yeah from you know from so, Odessa. From Odessa, right. Yeah. And so I so I never cashed in that ticket, you know, never went back. Mitzi gave, um, she said, what does your dad do? And I said, um, she, he's a building construction engineer. And she said, well, bring him over here. I'll give him a job as a handyman. So it was like, okay. <laughs> so I brought my parents. To LA. To LA. And, we, and uh, my dad and I, I helped him because he couldn't really do what she needed done yeah. a lot of times. So I became the carpenter at the comedy store, and that was about two years of that. And what, meantime, Do you remember what you built? The belly room yeah. upstairs, yeah. you know, pretty much all the booths and all the stage and you everything. You did that? Yeah, I did that. Uh-huh. A lot of original... A lot. Well, they did refurbishing original. I did a lot, and then also the main room. Main room, yeah, a lot of there. When they made it uh, nicer, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? So you were one of those guys because there was. A, she always had guys like I used to drive the truck for. I was a doorman. Mm-hmm. I drive the jeep, mm-hmm. and then there was Greg Hilbers who used to yeah. paint the painting. Remember, yeah, he did the painting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Comics ran that place. Well, yeah, somebody. So, had to, right? All right, so you come out here. You bring your parents out there. You set them up. Where are you guys living? Uh, on Whitley Avenue, it uh, it's near Franklin and Whitley in Hollywood, uh-huh, so it's uh-huh. uh, right next to Fredericks of Hollywood. You know, oh, places yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? So, all right. So now you're in at the store. You're not only in. You, you know, she wants you to be a comic. She's got you building shit. Yeah. Uh, and every day, you know, you're going there at night. And at that time, all those people you mentioned are around. Jimmy Walker, maybe yeah, still yeah, around. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All he was in here. Boy, no. he had a lot to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's sure. got. He'll throw yeah. some people under the bus. That guy. So, like Roseanne too, Jim yeah. Carrey. Yeah. Those were coming in. I. They were probably in 1980, mm-hmm. you know, so I was already kind of coming out. They were coming in. When you say coming out, now let's, when when did the moment come and, and how did it happen for you where you realized that that the novelty uh, of, of what you were doing uh, in, in this country, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to sort of you know, create the hook, you know, what a country and, and build jokes around the tension here because on some level, you know, you were relieving the tension, not unlike you know, being a state sanctioned comedian right. uh, in Russia who's supposed to ease the tension of existing, uh, you know, in Russia. Condition, yeah, right. right. Uh, you know, here you're easing the tension of what Between you know Americans America. perceive yep. uh, Russia to be, uh, and also, you know, I mean, you know, enforcing some stereotypes with a with a lightheartedness that very much so. that enabled people to to realize that people live there and come from there. Absolutely, and and when I look back now, when I look because it was building because there was several. Uh, people like um, co- other comedians would be around, like Biff Maynard, Kipadada, yep. or t- p- people like that. They would say, "Good job, good job," whatever. And at some point, what a country! I said it so many times that some one of the audience members, I think, would said, "What a country!" You know? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of repeated. And I, at that point, it wasn't yet right established. Right. And then I started. 
recognizing how many times I used that, uh-huh. and then it became a big deal. I did the routine about uh, new freedom mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I walked in the store and I saw this box that says new freedom. Yeah. And I said to myself, what a country, <laughs> freedom in a box. <laughs> yeah. I bought 15 of them, yeah. you know. And yeah. so so that became kind of, that cemented that, that uh-huh. line. And then uh, America loves Smirnoff and I got off the plane, I saw that sign and yeah. I said, what a country. Yeah, right, right. So that became, those became kind of a, my signature yeah. pieces. But what was interesting at that time, I was releasing detention. I wasn't aware of that, by yeah. the way. It was totally unbeknown to me. However, that's what catapulted kind of me into stardom Fast because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't understand why mm-hmm. I, I I thought I was just funny guy yeah but it was also that tension that was happening the opposite side of this fast forward 1991 Soviet Union collapses yeah David Letterman has a top ten list of things that now will change yeah and Yakov Smirnov makes number one he will be out of work. <laughs> And I and I thought it was funny because I'm living in Pacific Palisades. I have two and a half million dollar home. Uh-huh. I am playing Vegas, Atlantic City. My contracts are secure. I'm good. Yeah. Six months later, all of them did not renewed. Uh-huh. None of them renewed because your acting was no longer relevant. Exactly. No more pressure. No more tension. Mm. And I went, wait a minute, but I'm still funny. And they said. We don't need that. Yeah, yeah. So that was how. How did that make you feel? What did you go through at that moment? Scared. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had two little kids. Uh, my son was just. Well, my son, uh, my wife was still pregnant with Alexander, and this when this was happening, and it was uh, all of a sudden like, holy cow! So I started looking for places then that would not know that the Soviet Union collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, and Branson, Missouri, <laughs> was was the place. I'm not kidding. They didn't. They they didn't care. So at some point, you were like, you know, I'm not going to change my act. There's got to be some moron somewhere <laughs> that, that won't be bothered. But... Well, to be fair, yeah, I did change my act. We well, had to. No, my my act have been changing since. The 80s, like 85, you know, when I got married, it was all about being married. It's right. all of, that wasn't what people knew me for. Right. So it was, do you remember Van, Van Meter? Yeah. Was famous for the impressions Kennedys. of Kennedy. Yeah. When Kennedy got shot. It was over. Yeah. Uh, it bro- didn't end well for Van Meter. No. He died recently, not too long he, ago. He, yeah. Yeah. And this was, you know, I think Lenny Bruce had the line. Too bad for one yeah, meter. Yeah, for bad meter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so for me, it was you know the Berlin Wall coming down. I knew it. I I saw the writing on the Berlin Wall. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. So my act was changing, mm-hmm. and I did appearances in Tonight Show with Carson and and was new material, but but the that big mark that I made was the Soviet Russia. Right. And so in Branson, though, it's a different culture. Um, you come, you set up your shop, you work hard. It's like it's like Wild West, mm-hmm. you know? At that time, it was fairly new. In 91, 
uh, is when it kind of peaked. Yeah. Uh, I went there in 93. Yeah. And started working hard. So my residual kind of effect of people knew who I was and they would give me a benefit of the doubt. And then my show was patriotic. It was clean. It was funny. All of those things that they appreciate. And I, all of a sudden, you know, fast forward today, you know, I own 2000 seat theater there. Um, I entertained over 4 million people since I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so knock on wood, you know, things, things went really well for me. It kind of reinvented and it gave me a chance to reinvent myself. When you went to Branson, you know, there was a lot of panic and I'm sure you had to sell your wife on the idea to move to Missouri. But, you know, your thought was that, look, you know, I know how this shit works. I've been doing Vegas. You know, this is a, this is like Vegas. It's like a Southern Vegas. Exactly. You know, if I can get a contract. You got that it. No for, contract. No, but, there, oh, no not contract. at the beginning. You rent your own space. That's the way it works? You so don't you, get nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's all a big gamble. Yeah. So you have money saved, and you said, "Let's go rent whatever this was left." Yeah. After because I didn't go there immediately. Ninety one Christmas Day when when the Letterman thing happened. Yeah. Six months later, I was still working. Final lot, you know. Right, and so then, it, then it all hit the fan. Ninety one, ninety two. I start doing clubs because I'm going. Holy cow! I got to pay, make my mortgage. Now, were you were you did, were you feeling any sort of embarrassment or humiliation that you know? Well, yeah, but that wasn't my priority. This priority was there. Yeah, kids. There's kids. Yeah, there's family. There's a mortgage. What yeah. do you do? Yeah, right. But going out to clubs after what you—it's yeah, hard. That right? was it. Was but yeah. it wasn't. It, the problem was you lived through uh, the Concord. So yeah. I lived through <laughs> Russia. So this is, this was not. So I was standing in line at six years old. Yeah. So no, it wasn't a big deal. That ego was okay. But I remember going to a club in Alabama. There was a comedy, uh, still a good comedy club in Alabama. And I remember that was still, and I was still doing Vegas, but I would start seeing the patterns. So the, the gigs were not renewing. So they invited me to Alabama. And I remember coming back to LA, to Pacific Palisades, and telling my wife, I said, I don't know what I felt here, but there was a guy, the owner of the comedy club, has like 200-seat place. He came, picked me up in Lexus. He was wearing Armani suit. He was relaxed. And I was at that point not Panic. relaxed. Yeah. And I said, he was relaxed. And it was it was nice. I liked it. And she looked at me and I said, are you nuts? And but yeah. She grew up in a small town in Oregon. So it wasn't, it wasn't but still coming from LA it was kind of a shock to her yeah. that i was even thinking that right. so it started my thought process oh maybe i need to think of something different than what i'm doing because this is hard and so and then embarrassment wasn't the big deal yeah. the problem was that those clubs were not filling up there right. was not many you weren't selling tickets yeah. yeah yeah that was that was it was hard it would, because there I would get a guarantee and I wouldn't make money to the club owner they and that win. did yeah. not feel good. Right. So when you say that when you went there and you focused on these elements, you, you made a list of elements, patriotic, uh, clean. clean. Yeah. Now, now when, when you say patriotic, do you feel, is your patriotism you know, specifically your own or do you feel like you're, you're pandering to a tone? Oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. When I describe to you 
um, my n- life. Sure. No, I hear it. Yeah. That's I mean, your all... gratitude for America is going to be different than some sort of aggravated jingoism. Exactly. That, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, they feel that. They feel that it's genuine. It's coming from the core. It's not like I'm standing there waving the flag. I'm saying I'm grateful to be here, period. And I'm... you're not saying fuck the Republicans, fuck the Democrats. You're not, it's not a political issue with you, which uh, is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't say fuck anyway. No, no. So, yeah. <laughs> But but you know what I'm saying is that you know you know in a lot of uh, you know there is a lot of right and left stuff. No, no, I don't. I don't. It's not. It doesn't be, matter. Right? Because you're you're actually your sense of America is a land of opportunity. Yeah, it's it fundamental is. freedom. Yeah, totally. And you experience it in a very every genuine, day. Every day. <laughs> you appreciate it oh, deeper. To- totally. Than many of us, I would imagine. To- totally. And had many opportunities to. Go up and down, even in Branson, there was time when I had a manager who, you know, kind of run the company down and I was a million dollars in the hole being in that environment. I had to kind of pick up myself by the bootstraps again and and rebuild my company and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I and I see when people care to help mm-hmm. and people turn away when they see that you're not involved or not genuine. All of those things are very accurate. They're real. Yeah. You know, and I'm not crying on anybody's shoulder. I just pick up myself and go and do it because I use that. I, I start thinking, what's, why was I so successful there? And because of the pressure that was happening in Cold War, I said, what's another Cold War happening and I found it, and it's in our bedrooms. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's between men and women, and yeah. we are pointing missiles at each other yeah. because we don't understand why there's so much tension. Yeah. So we just clash. We yeah. clash. Yeah. And so my- I mean, I'm experiencing that right now. Okay. <laughs> between you and I? <laughs> no, or no. Oh, good, good. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it, I can tell you the show is called Happily Ever Laughter, and it sold, we sold out 10 shows. We had to add now second time shows. So it hit the nerve again that something, it's, it's uh, Happily Ever Laughter and the Cold War in your bedroom. Uh huh. So you were able to sort of draw on your past recognition, and then and then bring it into something immediate, and, current, and, and, and general too. General right? and job security. Yeah. This is ain't gonna go away. That's right. There is not gonna and be. Have you? St- are you running it here to prepare it for Branson? Or you've been doing it in Branson. No, I've been doing it for Brent in Branson. Then I took it to Broadway. I did it at American Airline Theater for three months there. It it's a great it, it's kind of an evolution of comedy from my perspective. I also went back to college, got my master's degree in psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm a professor at Missouri State University, so I'm doing a lot of different things. I'm not kidding. This is all uh, because I'm very passionate about this. I noticed how laughter is there when we in the beginning of the relationship, and later on we totally don't know how to recreate it, no matter how funny we are. It has nothing to do with how funny we are because everyone creates a lot of laughter early in the honeymoon stage. And then we don't know how to sustain it. And so as a comedian, it became a challenge. I wanted to figure this formula out and I've done a lot of scientific research, empirical studies, all of that to bring this to, to the surface. So that's what I'm doing now here. Okay, well, uh, without doing the material, yeah. as a psychologist, yes. 
what you know let's see let me ask some personal questions go so so what do you do when it seems like things you know that the communication is broke down to such a degree and resentments have built up over years you know how how do you begin to sort of evolve out of that? great question great question i talk about um what starts what what creates laughter in the beginning so like eharmony.com for example they have 10 million subscribers they ask, what is the qualities that you want the most in your partner? Number one quality by far uh, is sense of humor. But from my studies, what I learned that women want somebody who will make them laugh and men want somebody who will laugh. <laughs> yeah. Not in the bedroom. Yeah. Not pointing and laughing. Yeah. But so because we feel... Um, sense of accomplishment when the woman is laughing. So yeah. a woman's laughter is what we're really after because we can make her laugh. We can make her do many other things. Sure. It's the so, gateway. <laughs> right. So, but, but we focus on that. But how do we get it? It's not just our sense of humor. What, what do we do? We think of things that she really needs in her in the early stages of her of our relationship. And in, in court, you want to impress them and in, 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 court in, them in, intellectual, be you know uh, kindred spirits. Or, whatever you know. they need, we give them. Uh huh. And whatever we need, they give us. Hopefully. Well, otherwise, you wouldn't ask her to marry. Right. Yeah. You know, normally, as a psychologist, this is studies that have been done over and over again. Man, ask a woman. Uh, to marry him when he feels the most respected. Uh -huh. And woman says yes when she feels the most loved. Uh -huh. huh. It's that in that split second, but nobody knows what we did right. Uh -huh. So we say I do, and when we don't, because we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to explain to people, it's about gift, G-I-F-T, give, importance, fun, and time. Uh -huh. So if we focus on those things, you're asking how do you start breaking those down? Yeah. If you look at that and say, how can I give her what's important to her? Not what's important to me, what's important to her. That's what you did during the honeymoon stage. Yeah. And you got the result. Right. And the same thing, uh, uh, fun. What was fun for her? Not for me, what's fun for her. That's how you got her. Yeah. And what's to, how much time? You didn't want to be apart. Yeah. I remember when my wife and I, we were, you know, I tell this joke, you know, we would be, uh, on the phone, even if I was in another part of the country, and it would be like for hours, giggling, laughing. Yeah. And then one of us would say, it's late, we need to go to sleep. Yeah. And the other one said, no, you you hang up first. Sure. No, you hang up. Sure. No, you hang up. <laughs> Did you hang up yet? <laughs> A year later, it would be like, you hang up, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get sidetracked, and that becomes no longer important. And we don't give importance. You take each time. other for granted. Yeah. So when you decided to go back to school, you were doing okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, your your incentive for going back to school was what? I was so into recognition of this power of laughter and recognition of what laughter can be a gauge uh -huh. that I wanted to have credibility. And I already knew the answer. The answer was it does work as a comedian. I know when you're connected the right way, laughter happens. So you invented a laughter gauge. In a your, way. Your father invented a it, cement gauge. Yes. You guys I, are gauge makers. Gauge makers. <laughs> it, I, call it, I call it a laugh bulb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a uh -huh. laugh bulb. When it lights up, yeah. you know you're connected. Uh -huh, that's yeah. true. That's, yeah. that's very true. And when there is no laughter, you better figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, you got a, what, you got a master's yeah. degree? In positive psychology, yes. 
positive psychology. It's a new field that is booming right now. Yes. Positivity is booming. I, and I find sometimes it's aggressive, and that that, that seems to be a contradiction in terms. No, to me. it's Aggressive not. positivity no, is uh, disturbing. No, no. Yeah. yeah. This is not a positive statement. Fuck you, you're negative. <laughs> that is not... <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That would not be part of my course. No, no, it's not. <laughs> so what is the course that you teach? The, Positive psychology? Is that what What I called? teach is psychology of laughter. Okay. Yeah, that's what my course is. And they let you do that, which is great. You, oh, you, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and they it, love me doing that. And, yeah. And who takes that course? Undergrads? Uh, actually, we open it to, to, to college and mm -hmm. then also to community. So my class would be like a 100 people class. And it could be younger people, older people, you know, it... It gives them credit, and uh -huh. then they, you know, they do whatever they want. And and is it? Uh, are you on the? Uh, do you work for the school, or is it? Are you a visiting professor? No, I'm. A, well, it's called adjunct professor. Yes. Uh huh. So I go there. I do one semester, and then I'm done. Hey, last question: Are there any guys from the old days that you still talk to? Uh, right from the comedy Harry store. Harry Anderson, oh, I yeah. still uh, ch chat with him once in a while. Uh -huh. um, I, I, Andrew and I will connect once in a while too, you know. And he's, you and Dice? They, uh, yeah, Dice, yeah. Dice makes me laugh so hard. He's a funny guy. Did you see the new Woody Allen movie? I did not see he's it He's terrific in Great. it. Great. I mean, I like, he's been in here. We've talked. No good. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize what a, a fairly genuine and sweet yeah. guy that yeah. guy is. Yeah, he's a good guy. And he's he, he, sometimes you guys hang out? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, and I'll hang out. I'll go to the comedy store and once in a while see, see Louis Anderson. I uh -huh. just saw... Uh, a couple of uh, about a month ago, we hung out for a little bit. So yeah, so it's still there. There's still that community. Uh huh. That and very, very just friendly. go up to the belly room and see the booths you built too, and realize I, how far away you've come. Yeah, actually, I'm filming a commercial Saturday. We're filming commercial. I called them and said. Okay, and it's going to be most interesting man in Branson, uh -huh. you know. Oh, you're riffing on that, that guy. We're yeah. doing a parody of yeah. that, so we'll shoot it at the comedy store oh. in the booth that I built, oh, which yeah. was significant for me. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Say, hey, I know. They're saying, where can we find a booth that looks like that commercial? I go, <laughs> I know where it is. I made one. I built one, yes. Are your folks still around? No, unfortunately, they passed. No, yeah. I'm sorry. But, uh, well, look, you know, it, it, this is a great story because you're a survivor, but it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, you had to go all the way down to the bottom to, to come back no, up. No, no. I, I, actually, I've been blessed. This whole thing, Branson gave me an opportunity to go to Cocoon, kind of a do that thing yeah. there, develop this new show that I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and come back offering something different which is what made me famous to begin with i was there when there was a tension and now there's a huge huge tension uh between men and women that's and, never going to go away no, no one's going to break that wall down right right <laughs> however you can know how to uh, get over it by rising above that wall well it was great talking to you really uh really uh, nice meeting you thanks so much All right, that's it. That's a, that is a great story. I, I I don't you know you want to put it into the context of the history of comedy, whatever. It was a pleasure to talk to that guy. Um, look, folks, uh, that's it. Go to wtfpod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get the app, upgrade to the premium, stream all four hundred episodes, get some merch. There's a few Christmas things left. Do what you got to do. All right. 
uh, leave a comment. Enjoy. We're gonna uh, there, we're gonna have some premium content available soon. Uh, Marin, the first season of uh, Marin is going to be available on Netflix on December 28th. I'll give you some more info on that as we get closer to that. I got to go. I got to work. Got to shoot. Got to do the thing. I haven't seen Def Black Cat in like four days. Bullshit. It's fucking bullshit, man. It's happened before. They go, but I was getting kind of attached to them, man. We're seeing them every day, seeing them every day, and that other idiot showed up. And then, uh, and then uh, now he's gone. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm at home all day. Maybe I'm missing them. Maybe I'm missing them. I do know this. Coyotes are bullshit. Boomer lives!